Madam Speaker, Nosivue Mapisa Ngakula, His Excellency President Cyril Ramaphosa, His Excellency the Deputy President Mr. David Mabuza, Cabinet colleagues, members of the Executive Committee for Finance, the Governor of the South African Reserve Bank, the Commissioner of the South African Revenue Services, Deputy President of the Governing Party, Honorable Mashatile, and leaders of all political parties and fellow South Africans. I'm honored to table the following documents before this House. The 2023 Division of Revenue Bill, the 2023 Appropriation Bill, the estimate of national expenditure, the 2023 budget review, the second adjustment appropriation bill, the ESCOM debt relief, and this budget speech. We're tabling the 2023 budget in a difficult domestic and global economic environment. The global recovery is slowing. Domestical Load shedding has become more persistent and prolonged, impacting on service delivery and threatening the survival of many businesses. This is compounded by the disruption to freight and logistic networks. Households are under pressure from rising cost of living, and unemployment remains stubbornly high. We are navigating this difficult environment with policies that support faster growth and address fiscal risks. Our pursuit of higher growth remains anchored on three pillars. Firstly, we are ensuring a stable macroeconomic environment to create conducive environment for savings, investment, and growth. Secondly, we are implementing growth-enhancing reforms in key sectors, particularly in energy and transport. And thirdly, we're strengthening the capacity of the state to deliver quality public services, invest in infrastructure, and fight crime and corruption. In this budget, we are allocating additional resources towards these endeavors without compromising the sustainability of public finances. Since 2022 budget, global growth estimates for 2023 have been revised downward. The International Monetary Fund projects global growth to slow from an estimated 3.4% in 2022 to 2.9% in 2023. Global economic risks remain high including those relating to the ongoing war in Ukraine and could impede growth in, in if they materialize. The reopening of the Chinese economy, however, may offer some reprieve by supporting a stronger rebound in global trade and demand. South Africa's economy grew by an esti estimated 2.5% in 2022, this is an upward revision from the 1.9% project projection in the 2022 
medium-term budget policy statement, reflecting a better-than-expected outcome in the third quarter of 2022. At 4.6 trillion, the size of the economy in 2022 was far bigger than the pre-pandemic levels in real terms. This is evidence of a robust economic recovery, even in the face of lingering COVID-19 scarring. However, the medium-term growth outlook has deteriorated. The real GDP growth is projected to average 1.4% from 2023 to 2025, compared with 1.6% estimated in October. Madam Speaker, in these conditions, government must maintain a prudent fiscal stance. The fiscal consolidation strategy we adopted several years ago has, one, restrained growth mainly in consumption expenditure, and two, allowed us to use part of higher-than-expected revenues to reduce the deficit. As a result, we are bringing the fiscal deficit down without resorting to tax increases or further cuts in social wage and infrastructure. A primary fiscal surplus will be achieved in the current financial year, and this will be maintained over the medium term. This is a critical policy stance. In addition, we must consider the consolidated position, which includes debt service cost. In this regard, the consolidated fiscal deficit is projected at 4.2% 4 of GDP for 2022-23, and this will reach 3.2% in 2025-26. These figures include the impact of the partial takeover of, of ESCOM debt, which I will elaborate on later. Mainly due to the ESCOM debt relief, Government debt will stabilize at a higher level of 73.6% of GDP in 2025-26. This is three years later than anticipated in the 2022 medium-term budget policy statement. In general, government debt is high. The gross debt stock is projected to increase from 4.73 3 trillion in 2022-23 to 5.84 trillion in 2025-26. And because debt is high, our debt service costs are also high. Debt service costs are projected to average 366.8 billion annually over the medium term, reaching 397.1 billion in 2025-26. These are resources that could otherwise be used to address pressing social needs or to invest in our future. There are risks to the fiscal outlook. These include a worsening of the economic outlook, a further weakening of the finances of state-owned companies, and, and a possible unaffordable public service wage agreement. If these risks materialize, they will require us to make difficult budget trade-offs. For, for these reasons, we must continue exercising fiscal restraint. Accordingly, government non-interest spending will be kept below the level of revenue into the future and will continue targeting 
the stabilization of debt. Madam Speaker, eradicating poverty, inequality, and unemployment is as urgent, if not more so, as it was at the dawn of our democracy nearly 30 years ago. A growing economy is key to achieve this objective. Implementing growth-enhancing reforms is a crucial element of our growth strategy. To fast-track the implementation of these reforms, we initiated Operation Vulinlela, a joint initiative of the Presidency and National Treasury to accelerate the implementation of social reforms by fostering co collaboration and coordination across the government just over two years ago. Since its inception, Operation Vulinlela has made progress in fast-tracking reforms in priority areas of electricity, water, telecommunications, transport, and immigration. In water, the backlog of water license applications has been cleared, and new licenses now are being issued within 90 days. Later this year, later this year, we will table a law to establish an infrastructure agency to leverage the assets in the water sector for increased investment in water resources infrastructure. In digital communication, we will soon switch off the analog signal and finalize the migration to digital signal. This will unlock the benefits of the spectrum auction and unleash renewed investment in the sector. We are introducing new regulations to enable the accelerated rollout of telecommunications infrastructure. We are clearing the backlog in work visas application and are implementing the recommendations of the skilled immigration review. Despite these gains, the challenges in electricity and logistics threaten to undermine the reform agenda. Madam Speaker, the lack of reliable electricity supply is the biggest economic constraint. Record levels of load shedding were experienced in 2022. I'm told 207 days of load shedding compared to 75 days in 2021. In response, we are acting decisively to bring additional capacity onto the grid. We are also working to transform the electricity sector to achieve energy security in the long term. As part of this, during the medium-term budget policy statement, we announced that the government will take over a portion of ESCOM's debt. We are doing this for two reasons. Firstly, doing so will ease pressure on the company's balance sheet enabling it to invest in transmission and distribution infrastructure. It will also allow ESCOM to conduct maintenance required to improve the availability of electricity. Secondly, 337 billion of ESCOM's debt is already government guaranteed. Explicitly taking on this debt will reduce fiscal risk and enhance long-term fiscal sustainability. We are proposing a total debt relief arrangement for ESCOM of 254 billion rand. This consists of two components. This consists of two components. One is 184 billion rand. This represents ESCOM's full debt settlement requirements in three tranches over the medium term. Second is a direct takeover of up to 
70 billion of ESCOM's loan portion in 2025-26. Because of the structure of the debt relief, ESCOM will, need, will not need further borrowing during this period. Government will finance the arrangements through the 66 billion baseline provision announced in the 2019 budget and 118 billion in additional borrowing over the next three years. Honorable members, the arrangement is accompanied by strict conditions to safeguard public funds. These conditions include, amongst others, requiring ESCOM to prioritize capital expenditure in transmission and distribution during the debt relief period, and for the company to focus on maintenance of the existing generation fleet to improve availability of electricity. That the debt relief be used to settle debt and interest payment only, and that ESCOM implement recommendations emanating from an independent assessment of its operations, which has been commissioned by the National Treasury. Details of the debt relief and the reasoning behind these conditions are set out in full in the online annexure, what is called W3. At the end of December 2022, municipalities owed ESCOM 56.3 billion and the debt is rising. Undertaking a debt relief for ESCOM of this magnitude without addressing this particular risk would be counterproductive. We are working with ESCOM to provide solution to this problem, wherein ESCOM will provide incentivized relief to municipalities whose debt is unaffordable. However, the relief will come with conditions and to avoid a repeat of debt built up over time, the relief will attach measures, including installation of prepaid meters to correct the underlying behavior of non-payment and operational underlying behavior of non-payment and operational practices in these municipalities. ESCOM's long-term financial viability depends on its customers paying their dues. National Treasury will publish details for assessing the debt, access, accessing the debt relief in a circular in March 2023. Implementation will start from the 1st of April. More generally, the culture of non-payment, not only by, by municipalities, but all organs of state and individual household customers is concerning such a behavior undermines and cripples our institutions and makes it impossible for them to deliver services. To change this, the National Treasury is exploiting ways to encourage all to improve their behavior and do the right thing. Madam Speaker, the energy and electricity sector here at home and globally is undergoing a rapid process of systematic change. Green technologies are becoming cheaper and the deployment of low carbon solution is accelerating. We recognize that we have a role to play in encouraging adaptation and mitigation. I'm pleased to announce two tax measures to encourage businesses and individuals to invest in renewable energy and increase electricity generation. From the 1st of March 2023, businesses will be able to reduce their taxable income by 125% of the cost of investment in renewables. There will be no thresholds on the size of the projects that qualify, and the incentive will be available for two years to stimulate investment in the short term. As, as, 
as announced by the president as announced by the president we will also introduce a new tax incentive for individuals to install rooftop solar panels to reduce pressure on the grid and help ease load shedding individuals who install rooftop solar panels from 1st of march 2023 will be able to claim a rebate of 25% of the cost of the panel up to a maximum of 15000 this can be used to reduce their tax liability in 2023-24 tax year this incentive will be available for one year changes to the bounce back loan guarantee scheme are also proposed to incentivize renewable energy rooftop solars and address energy related constraints experienced by small and medium enterprises government will guarantee solar related loans for small and medium enterprises on a 20 percent first loss basis national treasury will launch the energy bounce back scheme on the first of april more broadly part of addressing the persistent electricity supply shortage must involve implementing a just transition to low carbon economy climate change poses considerable risks and constraints to sustainable economic growth in south africa we are among the most water scarce countries in the world and recent events have shown that extreme weather events such as floods heat waves and drought are occurring more often and they intense and, and their intensing is worsening our just energy transition plan addresses these urgent climate changes it aims to significantly lower emission of greenhouse gases and harnesses investment in new energy technologies electric vehicles and energy efficiency appliances most, most importantly it ensures that communities tied to high emitting energy industries are not left behind and are provided with the new skills and new economic and employment opportunism through the just energy transition investment plan launched by the president in 2022 at COP27 the country will make significant investment in our economy over the next five years supported by a coherent industrial policy and enable innovation and economic diversification international partners group of developed economies in 21 pledged 8.5 billion us dollars to support south africa's transition this will go a long way south africa through the role in g20 the imf and the world bank has stressed that developed nations could do more to support the energy transition of developing nations especially by ensuring that the financial support included a much larger grant funding component infrastructure investment lays the foundation for inclusive and sustainable growth they address supply side constraints and expand access to basic services overall the public sector is projected to spend 903 billion rand in infrastructure over the medium term the largest portion of this around 448 billion will be spent by state-owned companies public entities and through public private investment partnerships these spending plans are mostly for strategic projects in the following sectors transport and logistics will spend an estimated 351.1 billion including uh, Fuensaran to improve the road infrastructure network water and sanitation is planned to 
spend 132.5 billion over the next three years, mainly by the water bores. As we undertake infrastructure projects, we need to crack down on criminality in the construction sector. The extortion and intimidation of lawfully appointed contractors and the workers they employ cannot be tolerated. Madam Speaker, allow me to highlight a few of shovel-ready projects approved through the Budget Facility for Infrastructure. The 488-bed Limpombo Central Hospital will finally begin in construction in March this year. First two of the Wellesley Rural Bridges program breaks ground in April this year. It plans to ins install 96 bridges annually to enable rural communities in the Eastern Cape, Gazul Natal, Pumalanga, Limpombo, Free State, and Northwest to safely access schools and workplaces. 308 billion rand is, is allocated for the, for the program over the medium term. The Sol Plaichi municipality will repair aspects of the Riverton water supply scheme, which is the only water source and supply system to Kimban. The construction of the enabling bulk infrastructure such as road, water components for Lufereng mixed-use development in Houghton begins in June 2023. It will support development of 31,000 mixed housing units. Access roads for the Mzumfu water project are nearing completion. The construction of the Ndabelanga Dam will begin this year. Additional funding during the next financial year may be required to ramp up implementation. Site establishment for the Kenwellium Dam's project in Western Cape is completed. Early construction works include surface preparations are underway. Our focus is not only on building new infrastructure, but also on maintaining existing infrastructure. We do this to ensure that it lasts long and performs the required, according to the required standard. At the same time, we are looking at initiatives to leverage private sector resources in public infrastructure delivery. This is to strengthen state capacity to expand infrastructure delivery and to catalyze private finances. Initiatives include funding development of continuous, investable, and transparent pipeline projects and programs, fast-tracking the implementation of the pub public-private partnerships regulatory framework recommendations, pilot the implementation of conditional grant pledging that will enable during the, that we, we announced during the medium-term budget policy statement. It is aimed to ensure the rollout of infrastructure is not constrained by availability of funds in particular if there is capacity to deliver. This is what some of the provinces are calling the front-loading. The Division of Revenue Bill is amended accordingly to give effect to that proposal. Interventions in supporting growth are critical to the health and, sus and sustainability of the economy. They need to be complemented by a policy environment that promotes the performance of productive sectors in an integrated way. This will require difficult but necessary trade-offs to ensure that the appropriate support is properly targeted at the correct product and value chain. I'm also tabling the second adjustment appropriation bill for the 22-23 
fiscal year. The bill proposes an allocation of 45.6 billion rand to provide for the carry-through cost of the 2022-23 public service wage increase. One billion is allocated to South African Airways to assist the carrier with the business rescue process closure. The South African Post Office is allocated 2.4 billion. The allocation for the state-owned companies will be accompanied by strict conditions to ensure sustainable sustainability, accountability, and transparency. If these conditions are not met, the unfortunate thing is that funds will not flow. Madam Speaker, the budget provides for carry-through courts, as I've indicated, of the 2022-23 wage increase. In addition, the budget includes pay progression, a housing allowance, and other benefits for civil servants. The budget also provides additional funding for safety and security, education and health. In health, the funds are, are, are to hire new staff, address the shortfall in the compensation budget, and retain additional health workers appointed during the pandemic, as well as to clear the backlog in health services. As for the wage negotiations that just commenced, the budget does not preempt the outcomes. It is an agreement between ourselves and the unions in the, in the summit in March last year that they say if we put up a number before the negotiations, we're preempting the negotiation process. Our ideal view was that we should have concluded the last year's negotiations by June so that July last year we've commenced with 2023. Unfortunately, things did not work that way. So, nevertheless, this future wage negotiation must strike a balance between fair pay, fiscal sustainability, and the need for additional staff in the frontline services. An unbudgeted wage settlement will require very significant trade-offs in government spending because the wage bill consumes a significant portion of the budget. It will mean that funds must be clawed back in other ways. Mainly, this will mean restricting the ability of department entities to fill non-critical posts. It will also mean achieving cost savings from major rationalization of state entities uh, and programs. As indicated by the President in the SONA, the National Treasurer and, 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 and the President, already, National Treasurer has already identified where large savings can be achieved. In this regard, during the upcoming financial year, the National Treasury will work with the Presidency on in concrete proposal to achieve savings by rationalization or closing uh, public entities. Recommendations will be made to the President and Cabinet and should form part of the next budget. In relation to the recent floods and the national disaster declared uh, in various provinces, let me just pause. <clears throat> Let me do that overramping because it's quite important here to explain because there's a, a failure to understand and therefore a failure to respond. What? There are two components to a disaster. The first one is called what is called an emergency relief. How does, what are the emergency relief? Some people who need some food here, who need some 
we need shelter there, we need medical attention there. That thing needs immediate response. Last year, we had one billion rand in four grants. That one billion was depleted, but during the adjustment estimate, we replenished that emergency grant, and we now have 695 million in that emergency grant. What that means, the people who are sitting in halls and other things must access this money so that they must get temporary uh, accommodation, must get food, must get into. That's the first part. The second part of, of, the, of the disaster is what is called recovery and repair. To do that, you need skilled people than myself, more skilled than myself, who can go into a bridge and assess the cost to build that bridge. And then you submit a proper budget, and that is affected into the normal budget process. That's what would appeal to the current provinces which are facing disaster. We, the money is available for immediate emergency relief. must work together uh, to make sure that communities are attended with speed. So, a further one billion will be available next year for emergency relief. The emergency receive, as I've indicated, the emergency response also requires provinces and municipalities to reprioritize existing allocations to cater for immediate needs affecting communities, such as temporal shelter, I've done that, I've made reference. The contingency reserve will also be used to fund emergency responses including as undertaken by the Defense Force. Uh, as it pertains to recover and repair, I've also explained that, which relates to longer-term rehabilitation that will be factored in, in, into the normal budget process. So that is the, what we appeal should be done. Funding for this we, is rehabilitation will also be done through the normal process. Move. <laughs> the South Africa has been a voluntary member of the Financial Action Task Force since 2003, which sets global standards to combat money laundering and the financing of terrorism. Across national budgets, across national borders, in 2021, FATF published its mutual evaluation report highlighting vulnerabilities in the country's anti-money laundering system. We have since made substantial progress to address these weaknesses. Two laws have been enacted to address the technical deficiencies in the legislative framework, namely the General Laws Amendment Act of 2022, the protection of constitutional democracy against terrorism and related activism amendment. Act. I must at this stage pause and thank the honorable members for the speed with which these legislations, pieces of legislations were, were processed. Uh, we thank all honorable members for the effort they've taken into that. Were it not for that speed, we probably would be still struggling now in arguing our case in FATF. The laws address 15 of the 20, 20 legislative deficiencies identified by FATF. The remaining five deficiencies will be addressed through regulation and practices that do not require legislation. We recognize the need to be more effective in implementing our laws. 
particularly in fighting organized and sophisticated crimes. Addressing the FATF issues is part of, of the broader fight against corruption, crime, state capture, and the deliberate weakening of the institutions of law and order in our country. The FATF plenary will make its decision later this week on whether or not to put South Africa under increased monitoring, otherwise known as grey listing. We should be prepared for that possibility. The 2023 budget increases allocation for all spheres of government to assist with, under, with urgent spending pressures. Relative to the 2022 budget, direct provincial allocations increase by 92.7 billion to 2.17 trillion over the medium term. The increase consists of 76.9 billion added to the provincial equity budget and 15.8 billion added to the direct conditional grants. Local government allocation will increase by a total of 14.3 billion, made up of 18.1 billion in local government equity budget and 62 and 6.2, sorry, 6.2 billion in direct conditional grants. This takes the total direct allocation to local government to 522 billion rand over the same period. These allocations alleviate some of the financial pressures, particularly in health, education, and free basic service, where the cost of pro providing services are rising. Madam Speaker, our economy is facing significant risk. Uncertainty is on the rise. It requires us to, to be bold, to do bold things, to put the fear of failure aside and execute the difficult trade-offs needed to get from where we are now to where we want to be in the future. The measures in this budget reflect these realities and the need to act boldly. Madam Speaker, I'm grateful to the President and Deputy President for their support and the leadership. Thank you for the De Deputy Minister of Finance and the National Treasury team led by the Acting Director General. My sincere thanks to the Commissioner of South African Revenue Services and the Governor of the South African Reserve Bank. Let me also thank my colleagues in the Minister's Committee on Budget and the members of the Budget Council from the provinces who shared the load of tough decisions that have been to be made. Similarly to the Parliamentary Committee of Finance and Appropriation, and I express my sincere appreciation. My gratitude also goes to Neil Bell from the Parliamental Bills Office. He retires in May this year after 41 years of going uh, the extra mile to support the passing and the tabling of the budget and other legislation in Parliament. <laughs> Mr. Bell, we say a bells to you and thousands of public servants who work behind the scenes to keep our country going. Let me thank all, each of you South Africans for the support. Sashe Yewande, we thank you. Niazimba. Kumamchal. For the continued support under the difficult circumstances of managing the finances of this province.
yeah, yeah. So, thank you very much. That is your budget, Madam Speaker. Honourable members, I thank the Honourable the Minister. The papers tabled by the Minister will be referred to the relevant committees. Order. Order, Minister and Chief Whip and the President. Order. I request members to stand and wait for the chair and the mace to leave the chamber. That concludes the business for the day and the house is adjourned.